This is a Rocket Audio production. Welcome. Welcome indeed to a new series of Rocket Fuel. It's our third series. For those of you that have only just heard about Rocket Fuel, where have you been? There are loads of brilliant interviews with those that have affected youth culture or youth marketing. For those of you that are coming back, welcome back. This week, in our first week back, I wanted to ask you a question. How much do you know about Twitch? I mean, really, come on, more than just the fact that Amazon spent a lot of money buying it. I want to really drill down and ask you the question, how much do you really know about Twitch? It's probably not enough, is it? Well, guess what? We're going to find out all about Twitch because this week's guest on Rocket Fuel is Adam Harris. And Adam has a rather grand title. He's the global head at the brand partnership studio at Twitch. So it's his responsibility to work with brands to get the best from going beyond ads, if you like. He talks to us about a few big campaigns that Twitch have run. He speaks about the kind of mindset that Twitch users are in. And we talk to Adam about his background. We talk to Adam about Twitch and his other forays into the media and commercial world. And then we ask Adam Harris from Twitch for his rocket fuel. first thing to say is Adam Harris, Global Head, Brand Partnership Studio at Twitch. Thank you very much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thanks for coming along. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. So, Adam, the first section of um, the interview is focused very much on you and kind of your background. Why don't you bring to life your, your professional journey and how you've ended up at Twitch? Right. Okay. Let's 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 go back in time. I think um, a little bit. So I've um, I'm actually going to go right back in time to when I first kind of started working, which was roughly the age of ten. Uh, not any kind of uh, child labour kind of situation. Well, it wasn't that. My dad used to take me to the markets with him. So he was a market trader, and from the age of ten, I helped him in the markets. And um, I kind of um, attribute um, what I learned there to kind of a lot of the behaviours that I have brought into my professional life um it taught me to speak to customers i want to get to know people and have a actual kind of uh, physical kind of dialogue uh, which is ironic because i'm now working very much in the digital world where it's all about digital dialogue so um it started very much uh there and gave me the first sense of basically working hard i worked my whole way through university as well uh, i had the sense of i didn't want to be uh didn't want to be in debt so i worked in marks and spencers um, I was the, the, the frozen man, um, not in the let it go sense, in the uh, putting turkeys and, the, and various things into, uh, into freezers. But so, yeah, I've, it's always been um, with kind of within my consciousness to be to kind of to work and to um, I've for some reason got this thing about not being not being in debt so uh, I don't know where that came, came from but it's just been a, a conscious thing since I, since I was young when then um, went to university had absolutely zero idea what I wanted to do I don't even think I filled in my own ACAS form I think somebody else filled it in for me I really was not one of those people with any kind of heightened sense of ambition all I knew I what I wanted to do was work and um, left university without still with no clue 
what to do. But I then ended up working at a factoring company. As if you've heard of factoring, it's kind mm. of posh debt collecting. <laughs> um, and part of the companies that I had to call up were um, media companies. The likes of PhD, kind of media agencies, um, uh, uh, McCann Erickson, Universal McCann, uh, Cara, and um, a job came up for a graduate scheme at ITV. So I went along to that and they said, have you got any experience in media? I said, well, I've been working with all these media companies, PhD and um, Universal McCann. And uh, <laughs> the fact I knew all the names, they were like, they got me in the graduate scheme. So a little bit of chancering and, uh, uh, or chutzpah as, uh, as it's known. And I found myself on the graduate scheme and that's kind of where my entry point into media was. And I always loved coming up with ideas. I always loved writing, but I just had no clear direction of what I wanted to do. And and really found it in ITV. I loved media. I loved working in television. It felt like a youth club. It felt like somewhere that, that I belonged. Um, and I learned a huge amount then. I still in touch with a lot of the people um, I met uh, uh, kind of then. And that's, it was almost 20 years ago now. So it was a really kind of breeding ground for kind of young uh, media individuals. Um, eventually left there. I wanted to, I still um, didn't entirely know what direction I wanted to go in. I wanted to do a bit more writing. So I ended up getting a job at Metro, Metro International, um, which mm. was the, they were the originators of the Metro newspaper concept. Yeah. And it was there that things really changed for me. Firstly, I met a, um, my, my boss who turned out to be kind of a mentor across three other jobs. Um, and it, they, it allowed me the first kind of elements of autonomy, which I now value so dearly in my work and I went in as a project manager but quickly found that there was the need for um, kind of commercial content um, kind of either concepts or writing so I started writing advertorials then found I had a knack of speaking to brands in um, engaging ways and being able to kind of relate what the brand was trying to say directly to a consumer um, wrote more advertorials started to come up with ideas for big brands and I got a major break on a Nokia campaign so it was Nokia 3310 I believe back in the day i do um, remember those phones yeah yeah i think it was the first 3g phone I yeah the the hook to it and i came up with this idea which was to use metro newspapers to highlight 3g so 3g being that you could kind of get any data you wanted amazingly at kind of record fast speed straight to your handset so what we did was we printed handsets in the various sections of the newspaper and then put the day's headlines on those handsets within the newspaper. So we had to work until like two o'clock in the morning to make sure that, because that's the copies written as the last piece and it, then dropped them into the handset. And it won a load of awards. And that's where I first really felt comfortable. Kind of, this is what I want to do. This is creating content for brands is my thing. So it was probably back then a creative solutions role, just drifting into yes. the brand funded content sort mm. of language back then. Because since then you've, you've done that role in radio and, and at Talk Sport, which is an incredibly creative place, particularly Talk Sport. They were renowned for being about the most creative radio station, weren't they? Yeah, but um, um, at that time it was, it was really unique. It was really doing a lot of ad funded programming, which now mm. is just commonplace. But as you said, back then, the concept of kind of uh, advertorials that weren't just directly selling the product was kind of uh, quite rare. So, so to actually produce series of content kind of completely funded by an advertiser, but not directly selling that product was, was really unique. So working across various media was a real kind of good training ground mm. um, for, for me. 
And what was it about the Twitch job when it came up that excited you most? I've always been about trying to uh, be as creative as possible and using whatever environment I, I'm, or media environment I happen to kind of find myself working in to try and twist it in all kinds of weird and wonderful directions to try and create that content and that unique way of engaging with the consumer um, and allowing an advertiser to engage with the consumer. And Twitch being digital and live just felt edgy and dangerous in the same, in a, um, a similar way to um, when I was at Time Out, that that is a brand that doesn't kind of, didn't really care what it said. So it gave you a lot of license to do a huge amount of creative things. It felt like Twitch was taking that to the next level because it's completely UGC. It's completely kind of open for the user to create whatever that content is. But on the other side, as opposed to all the other media I've been at, which is very much one way uh, media, it's very much push media. I was pushing content out to people. This yeah. had this pool element and that the audience were as much a part of the content creation process as the creator who was the broadcaster. So it was really, really interesting to me is what, what can we do in this space? You mentioned your boss across three of those different roles was kind of a mentor to you. Um, a couple of questions on that. Tell us, tell us about this boss. Tell us about the qualities that they, they've, they've had and, and how they've managed you. And also, do you mentor anybody else yourself? So um, I met uh, uh, Greg. It's Greg Mile, who was my boss um, at uh, Metro in 2004. And he kind of gave me, first of all, he gave me the, the job which was great then he realized the potential and saw that i that i had this knack and didn't say no stay in your swim lane and you're a project manager he gave me that freedom and that autonomy to do that which was kind of um it's something that i really value to this day and what i try and give to my teams as well but the most important lesson that i think i learned from him um was during my time at Metro, I was really ill. I was diagnosed with leukemia about, um, so that this was in 2005. And it was kind of, was seriously ill in the hospital. And he came, and we'd only known each other just under a year, and he came and sat with me in a hospital, and spent time with me and my family. And that really taught me a very kind of uh, valuable lesson about being, being a, a human as a manager, rather than just being a manager. Um, and it was just, it just, was completely kind of unexpected and um, it's just something that I held kind of very dear to me and a lesson of how to treat people. So um, we ended up um, um, working together again. He started Sport Magazine and I was on the launch team of Sport Magazine, which was like the first freemium magazine before mm. um, Shortlist came out and all these other ones came out. And we then also ended up at Time Out together because our plan was to take we were looking together to launch a free listings magazine. Well, not a free things to do in London magazine. And it okay. ended up that it was easier to turn time out into that as, um, than to launch something yourself. So we ended up together kind of there. So he um, just, just taught me some valuable lessons that I still, I, I still try and utilize today. Mainly the one about give good people autonomy and, and they will thrive. And um, just be a human um, as a try to be a human as a manager and have empathy with people and it, it, will, it will serve you well. So I try and uh, do that. I try and uh, bring in my team. We're very focused on bringing in um, uh, younger people because firstly, 
especially being at Twitch, they speak the language far better than a 40-year-old uh, dad of three will do, which is which yep. I. Um, and it's great to bring in really good people and just kind of give them that same mentoring advice, which is give, give them the autonomy just to kind of flourish and then point them in the right direction along the way. And what are the qualities that you look for in your team? Do you, is there a common trait through all of them or does everybody bring something different to the party? And how do you structure your team? Then? I believe in um, a degree of um, creative dysfunction among the team. I, okay. I, don't, I don't think it necessarily needs to always be the most cohesive kind of uh, functional uh, unit. But, um, it's, creative dysfunction creates that those amazing moments those amazing ideas but to be able to have that you need people with emotional intelligence you need people who are kind of honest um they need a sense of humor often quite a kind of uh witty or you know quirky sense of humor um and and that kind of i guess authenticity just like i haven't really got that much time for game playing or anything like that so if you could just be be yourself be honest be intelligent and just have that little bit of kind of sharp wit about you um then you'll fit right into my dysfunctional creative setup and how's the dysfunctional creative setup been through lockdown and and, and the change of covid19 have you seen your working practices change hugely have they have they changed a little i mean have they have they sped up the flexible working process were you there already what, what what's changed um, so the flexible working, we, uh, Twitch is a really good company in that respect. And there's a lot of kind of flexibility and autonomy. As long as you're doing your job, it doesn't matter where you do it from. Um, obviously, being part of a creative team, um, the need to be together and brainstorming and kind of thriving off each other is an important aspect. And that mm. we've had to try and replicate that in digital environments, which has, um, it, it's, it will never be human interaction but I think we've got it to as good as we can get the lucky thing about twitch is that a lot of our work is about directing people in their living rooms or in their bedrooms on a webcam mm. so from our point of view not a lot of things have actually changed the type of output we do it's how yeah. we get to the output that has um, has had to adapt and and change but um, twitch have been uh, it's been brilliant in terms of the resource they've given us, the empathy they've given us in these times, and um, it's we're making the best of it. Okay, um, are you any good at switching off? Um, I'm not amazing. Um, mm. I try and I use video games. I, I still I'm not, I'm not a massive gamer, but I've always had that kind of video game passion, and it takes you kind of that escapism that being in a video game can give you. Is great. What games do you uh, play, Adam? What are your favourites? Yeah, I like to play role-player games. So I okay. come from the um, generate the kind of the non-internet generation just before that. So playing with other people um, is not really something I feel that comfortable with, which is ironic because all the biggest games in the world currently are those types of games. Yeah. But I love things like uh, The Last of Us and Last of Us Two, um, Uncharted. So it's anything by Naughty Dog, who are an amazing kind of game developer. The other thing we try and do in terms of um, switching off is my wife and I have tried to implement a couple of times um, something called a, uh, a tech Sabbath, which is one day um, of a week, we try and put all of our devices, get the kids to do the same, we just stick them in a drawer and try and just either go out, walk the dog, you know, go talk to each other, 
uh, play board games and try not be so reliant upon uh, digital devices, which again, being part of a company, well, firstly Amazon and then Twitch, which are mm. reliant upon those is uh, slightly contradictory, but we, it, it's a good grounding in that social connectivity that you, you kind of need to have. I'd agree. Um, final question in this section. Professionally, what would you say you're known for? Is it a particular project? Is it an attribute? Um, is it a number of things? What What would you say? Ah, that's that's Adam Harris. He did this, or he does this. I think um, I, I never believe that I have the best ideas. That's the one thing that I don't. Um, I think ideas can come from anywhere. What I think my skill is, and this is a years of kind of looking into it is spotting the best ideas i think i've just got i've sometimes i feel like i'm in that um beautiful mind type moment where you're in a room and you're in a brainstorm and there's a there's a brief and people are talking and, and all of a sudden i'm writing on the whiteboard and i've kind of heard what everyone has said and I, I i could just unite it all into this kind of um into a concept concept that is clearly defined uh, meets the objectives and it is there and I think that is what I'm probably best known for is being able to just digest what's going on around and just concisely kind of pulling out the, the element that is key um, so um, hopefully that's what I'm known for I might be known for various other things that are probably not uh, that we can't mention on this uh, podcast but I think I hopefully that's what I'm known for. So section two of the podcast is where we get to know this week's guest business. We'll start with your current role, if that's all right, Adam. We may go a bit back towards timeout and talk sport. I've done a little bit of link, LinkedIn stalking. Let's start with Twitch. Um, silly question to start off. Is Twitch looking to be the longest overnight success story in history? It seems to have been bubbling under forever. Or is that just because I'm so incredibly old? Um. <laughs> I, I, I won't speak about your age right now. Fine. Um, yeah, it's. I think it has taken a long time for it to reach public consciousness in a meaningful way, and unfortunately, I believe it has taken lockdown and COVID to kind of really get it to that point. Not to say that it wasn't successful before. It was bought by Amazon for a billion, mm. uh, close to a billion dollars. So there was success there, and gamers found it as a kind of a healthy and hearty place to gather online. But what I believe kind of lockdown has really illustrated um, to people who may not have come into contact with it before is that it is a base for um, mass kind of gatherings so where you, um, with social connections. And by that, I mean, we've had all of these things taken away from us. We've had, we can't go to the pub for a drink. We can't go to the cinema. I don't want to depress anyone on this podcast, mm. but you know, we haven't been able to do all these things, uh, going to gigs, all these things that um, we love doing because they're fundamental to our being of having social connectivity and that mass gathering aspect. And what people have realized is that actually in this time, places like Twitch, which allow you to do that in digital form, which allow, thousands of people to accumulate in one kind of and watch something at the same time and communicate together um has a has a purpose within their lives and can have a place within when in their lives whether it is to watch sport together still or to watch music together or to watch someone gaming together they've just found all of a sudden that in a uh, the the purpose for them where they previously might have thought well i don't want to sit there and watch gamers playing games they actually realized it's far wider kind of more spread than that and it's actually all about 
this behaviour of this social connectivity en masse. So then, just for the benefit of the listener, I think people envisage Twitch as, to your point, watching video games. I suppose there's two things on that. One, the point that you've raised that it's actually more about the community around those things. And also, it's not just games anymore, right? There's, there's plenty of other things in there. Is that, is that something that Amazon has driven? Is that something that Twitch has driven? Is that the user base that's driven that? It's not just video games anymore. Um, it's a little bit of everything, but a lot of the growth on Twitch has been organic mm. and it's been directed by the creators and the creators kind of um, uh, devising new ways of talking to an audience and finding new things that the audience are interested in. So it started with video games and then it moved into things like cosplay, which is kind of another thing that, which is inherent within this kind of fandom uh, mm of universe and then people realized we could do cooking shows and the bob ross which is um kind of this uh our equivalent is probably tony hart yeah um uh, kind of this painting uh, kind of really chilled out painter dude from the 70s and we put it on as a marathon and people would watch and watch it together and start copying him and so really the audience um organically come up with the new um content strands uh, that become popular on Twitch. I think it's also the likes of traditional sports have seen the success of esports being mm. a digital first proposition and the success they've had on Twitch with um, having an online digital audience reacting in real time. And then musicians have found um, a home for, for economic reasons and that they can't yeah. go out gigging. So lots of people have organically found their way onto the platform for various different reasons, find an audience, and then the audience keep them there. I think that's an interesting use case as well. I mean, funnily enough, I um, used to listen to Ian Lee and for whatever mm. reason he left talk radio and in a relatively big name signing, if you're a radio geek as I am, and I suspect you are as well, mm. having worked at talk sport, uh, him moving to Twitch really made me open my eyes. It made me think, okay, it doesn't have to be an audio or a video play. It can be both. And he's so of his community. It struck me as a really interesting example of, if you like somebody that was on a broadcaster going to somebody that's on the Twitch platform. Yes, um, and he's not the, we've got lots of uh, people um, from sports stars who, some are using it as an extension to their social portfolio. Some are using it as a means for um, uh, economics to earn a living because it has got great monetization options. They really, people are finding the various use cases. So in terms of it being a kind of the longest overnight success, I think <laughs> it's very comp It's quite a complicated platform to explain to people. So many yes. facets to it that, um, that people are just discovering these bits and you're starting to see the likes of comedians or sports stars or whoever it is come on and do and try different things. I think the other interesting point that you made was about real time. And I think we've, I think the this the case for the, um, the 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 less and less linear TV has been widely overstated because we get we get to future gazing and innovative business models and Joe Wicks is on at nine o'clock every morning and Jamie mm. Oliver's on at lunchtime and and Nigella's on at three p.m. So I still think there's very much a a market for a communal viewing and engaging experience. Well, yeah, today, um, only today I, th I believe we've announced globally that watch parties are available uh, globally on Twitch and watch parties because we're part of Amazon it, it what it enables is the creators to watch simultaneously um, with their audience so like being in the cinema where they are the host 
and you can watch it all together because it's fun to watch in a community setting like people will be going to cinema for years like it's nothing new people you look at uh, the old christmas day kind of only fools and horses mm. we'd all gather around showing my age there but gather around the um the tv and it was appointment to view television like a television has moved online to kind of on demand and it's been replaced weirdly by kind of services like these live streaming services yeah where it's got that digital kind of real-time community experience. I mean, again, to take out an interesting insight or an interesting trend from the real lockdown period was the most watched time of day on linear TV was 6.30, which was the local news, you know? Mm. So again, if it's right and it's communal and it's relevant, there is still a market for that. So look, Adam, I think in our conversation, we kind of get what, for the benefit of the listener that's never been on Twitch before, what it might look like from finding the right creators, finding the right topics. Let's focus on the commercialization of it. Let's focus on the brands. How do the best brands get the most from Twitch? What opportunities are there available to them and for them? Well, that's um, my specific part of the business is actually um, the engagement piece on how do my um, department is very much focused on um, enabling brands, we actually call it empowering brands to create on Twitch. So enabling them to find the best ways to engage this very hard to reach um, kind of ad avoiding generation, um, but doing so in a way that will resonate most effectively with them. Because as we know, younger generations, they're quite ad resistant. They're paying for subscription services to try and avoid ads. They're ad blocking where possible. There's a decline in traditional kind of media. So it's very hard, A, to reach them, and then B, once you've got them, to engage them. So it's very, uh, one of our major focuses on uh, thought leadership in this space and helping brands navigate this world of gaming and Twitch, which is a bit unusual, and live streaming, which can have its risks, and this live dialogue piece, which is the most valuable to brands, but equally they, the, one, the piece that they don't know how to actually um, necessarily navigate themselves, which is this one-to-one relationship that goes on on Twitch. So we are very focused on helping and guiding them uh, to do that. Um, and there's some various lessons that we um, that we kind of say to brands, um, which are they're quite basic, but they stand them. It's to stand them in good stead. And it's it's not too dissimilar to I imagine what other young platforms um, advise to the brands that they work with. Things like uh, don't dad dance. So by that we mean don't try and walk straight into kind of a, um, a gaming environment or a kind of a young audience and pretend that you know how to speak like them. Like they'll see straight through it. It's show you get them is a piece of advice. Just show you understand them. Stay true to your own brand's um, uh, voice and what you stand for as a brand, but show that you understand what the audience want and what they get. They don't want you to be like them. They just want to know that you get them. There's also a, um, a point that a lot of brands believe that they're not welcome in the space by this young audience, that they're, yeah. they're commercially savvy and um, they just, uh, they see through it. Actually, what we find in the whole model of Twitch and if you, uh, is that brands are validators. That actually for a lot of this young audience, a lot of these, the gaming audience, brands have ignored them for too long. They think they're a niche tribe or thought they're a niche tribe and just not engaged them um, in the right way. So when brands like Louis Vuitton came into League of Legends, everyone was like, oh, well, that sounds a bit off. No, Louis Vuitton did exactly the right thing. The, the audience thought this was incredible validation. What a brand like Louis Vuitton wants to come into uh, League of Legends, which is something I've been playing for, for years. 
and they're giving away, they realize actually there's a difference between the physical kind of uh, world and the digital world and that they can have a different persona in the digital world. So they're giving me these in-game skins. This is awesome. I hold this, like, this is valuable to me. So um, realizing that brands aren't kind of out of place in this world and they actually can be a validating force is a piece of advice uh, that we give. And the final one is that you need to invite and not interrupt. So um, kind of this disruptive media model, um, this, we believe this young audience, they want to be voluntarily kind of invited into content by brands and they want to control it and they want to be a part of it. They want to be part of the show. That's why Twitch itself has been successful because it allows the audience to actually be an equal part in the creation process of any content. You've got the creator and the audience are there and they're directing the creator. It's the same with brands. The, um, the audience want to be a part. They want to be creative. They want to play around with the brand and do, be allowed to do stuff with the brands. And if you invite them in and voluntarily let them do it, they will engage with you. They will so, they'll do things you don't even realize. That, that so this is about almost working with the audience as opposed to broadcasting to the audience. And this is about digital experiences, not digital ads. Yes, completely. Yep. And, and, and what does a digital experience look like on Twitch? What can you get the users to do? You sort of got towards it a second ago. They'll do things you wouldn't believe. What are those, those, some of those things? Yeah, so um, there's, there's a couple of really great um, examples um, that we, we talk about. One um, recently for Porsche. So again, a brand you just wouldn't think would be advertising on, on Twitch, like um, how much of the audience can afford a Porsche, but it's not about that, it's about the future audience and actually the creativity that the platform can hold as a PR tool as well. Mm. So um, Porsche came to us and said they wanted to launch their first electric car. Um, we know your audience are very cause driven and this will resonate really, really well with them. But as Twitch, how would you launch a car? So yeah. we know how we do it. We, we'd probably do it in some kind of Frankfurt motor show and on some kind of a uh, big stage with flashing lights and mm. but how would you do it and our response was we wouldn't do it we would let our mm. community do it we would let the audience reveal the car because that's where you're gonna get the most engagement if you incentivize them to do it you provide that motivational currency in kind of digital form you let them be in full control they will engage with this on unprecedented levels and uh, so um, the way we did that was we created a real life video game so kind of an escape room meets Bandersnatch meets um, a RPG game, the role player game that I was talking about earlier that I love to play, um, yeah. kind of like Resident Evil and things like that. And we had, it was a real life video game where we had two drivers who we filmed, they had GoPros on their heads and the audience could control them. They control every single move that they, they could do. And their mission was to break into a Porsche facility. So we went over to Stuttgart and we went to the Porsche headquarters and they had to break into the um, Porsche facility and reveal the car to the world. That was the mission of the drivers and the community. So the community had to vote on everything they did. They had to solve puzzles together. This lasted for four hours. So people, over a million people played this simultaneously for four hours so that they could solve all the puzzles so they could launch this car. Wow. So it's, yeah, the kind of the depth of like, um, firstly the planning that went in, but also the, mm. the extent the audience would go to and they knew that they would get at the end this um an emote on twitch which was a porsche emote that would be their award and they would win that for the community 
So it was very much a community effort for a community prize. And you got that kind of engagement. So that's the kind of things we're talking about. And then Porsche can use that content that's been created by the community elsewhere. They've also got the, the kind of the hype of, of the PR ability of that launch. So there's, there's multiple things they've achieved, right? Uh, yeah, and we build a lot of, we realise that a lot of the elements that we do on Twitch, even if it's a multiple, if it's a series, so um, is the wonder of Twitch is also kind of the um, things that we need to work on, which is that live um, fear of missing out element, that the magical yeah. stuff happens live and it only happens once. But for advertisers, that's not always great because they want it to happen several times. They want to show it to as many people as possible. So we do have to build um, the kind of distribution plans into um, the, the concept. So yes, for Porsche's example, it was very much about that, that we work with them on the pre-planning to build up the hype, but also how to utilize that content and how to have a PR plan that would live on far longer than that live four hour execution itself. Um, let's, let's go for a bit of helicopter view stuff, if that's all yeah. right. You've worked for a few big media brands over the years. I suppose, feel free to take a different one of your brands, maybe TalkSport, maybe Metro newspapers, but I was gonna ask the question, you've worked at Time Out, you're now at Twitch. What do you think Time Out could learn from Twitch and what do you think Twitch could learn from Time Out? That's a great question. Um, I actually fundamentally believe they are in the same business, weirdly. Um, and what I mean by that is if you take a look at that um, Porsche example of that yeah. live, never to be repeated kind of, it's an experience. It's a yeah. digital experience, but it's an experience. Um, timeout was about exactly that, but in the physical form. So it, the young audiences, they want to be part of experiences. It's part of the social currency that can show up on all the other social platforms. And that's what we kind of traded off quite a lot um, at Timeout in that the success of the likes of Secret Cinema, the success of yep. uh, You, Me, Bum Bum Train, um, if yep. anyone does that, the kind of uh, the immersive theatre, which is amazing. The likes of Ginger Line, which is food. They're all these never to be repeated once uh, one off special experiences that occur in real time and that you want to share with your friends and kind of show off what you've done, um, which is it's very much the same as Twitch, but one's physical and one's digital. So I think what they can learn from each other is um, for Twitch, it's to do more things, I think, in the physical space and invite an audience in and because this is what this young audience want. They want these real time one one time only experiences that they can share and um and have that social currency and for time out it's the reverse it's to digitalize a lot of the things that they are doing and I've, probably in lockdown they have started to to do that um and yeah that's so that's that's from a kind of that high view is what i would say no i get that and i i like that manufacturing of fomo as well across both brands time out mm. when it was at its best it made you feel like you were on the inside and if you yeah. hadn't got time out you wouldn't be there and i'm guessing that's where there are lots of parallels with twitch as well um twitch's user base are well actually educators how old are they are they as young as we might think so um they are they are quite young. it's 18 to 34 predominantly right Okay. Um, and is yeah. there a certain amount of brand safety? I mean, do like people know there are people that are younger than 13 on Facebook? Do we, do we know there are younger than 18 year olds on Twitch? And is there a certain amount of brand safety where you have to look after any network where people are able to communicate with each other? Uh, completely. It's um, of paramount importance. It's where most of, 
Um, most investment is going in. Obviously, like the we all know the internet and we all know kind of what's going on with social media companies, especially when you're working for a live company um, and a live stream company. It's of paramount importance that we protect the safety of our communities because we do believe they are communities and they are coming on into our virtual environments to um, find places with people with common interests and have a safe and fun and entertaining experience. And so we need to be very, very protective of those. And we, we're not a free speech platform. We don't um, ever intend to be a free speech platform. We've got very strict rules to, to prohibit that kind of behavior. And so we've got very strict terms of service. And what that strict terms of service does is it, it forces behaviors by both the creators and the members of the community, almost self-policing to an extent, because if you're a creator and you're a partner and your revenue stream is directly reliant upon kind of that community, by having these strict, these strict terms of service, you're, you're less likely, you've got less incentive to breach those and do something on stream, which is gonna lose your livelihood. It's the same with these with these community members. If they have, are they're investing in the community, they're investing in um, subscribing to these creators. They want to be part of this community. If they do one thing wrong, they will be ejected from that community because we've got kind of machine moderation and human moderation, all kind of looking after this space. So and most of the time, it's keeping people in this really firm check of trying to maintain it as a community location, and that's very important to us. Um. I want to ask a question about your competitors and where you define competitors. I think you may have played your hand already having identified time out in the same business. So, so I'm guessing you would define your competitors as broader than just Snapchat and TikTok, for example. But who do you define as your competitors? And do you as a business, as a team, closely monitor those? Like if you see an amazing campaign on TikTok, do you think we should have been all over that? Is it still like that where you're reading the competitor press? Uh, it's it's quite difficult um, with Twitch because it our competitors are everyone and no one. Yeah. By that I mean it's like as you say, timeout could be a competitor because of kind of the experiential aspects. Equally, sports Sky Sports could be a competitor because we we broadcast sports. Um, Fortnite's a competitor for the attention economy. Like so, um, it literally if you're going to dig down into it, it could be anyone. So we try and focus on what is our unique aspect, which is the fact that there's very few places out there where you can get that live kind of immersive digital experience with the interactivity that we offer and we very much focus any concepts and ideas on trying to that to be our point of difference but we still pay huge attention to what other people are doing because we love innovation yeah. um, love to see what is going on, on the other platforms and um there was a, a a value at metro i believe which was uh, called uh, steel with pride Mm. And it's not about kind of a wholesale lifting. It's, it's about looking at what other people are doing. And if they're doing something really innovative, look at it, see what you can do. Can you improve it? Can you adapt it to your platform? So without doubt, we look at what other people are doing because there's amazingly creative people at these businesses doing wonderful things. But we, we in terms of competitors, we try and be uh, focused very much into what we do in that live interactive space. Um, you mentioned digital events and digital experiences a few times. I think one of the examples that anybody broadly in, in digital marketing or youth marketing walked away was the gig in the, or the concert in Fortnite that had millions of, of people attending. Um, do you think that really is the future of a live experience? I mean, I'm guessing you do because you work at Twitch, but do you think, do you think my dad, who turns 70 next year, will go to a gig 
I'm, I mean, I must admit, I'm, I'm streaming the hot chip gig in two nights from Margate. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there for my first digital gig. Do you think that will happen increasingly and more digital experiences will happen? If you did ask me six months ago, I might have been a little bit more uncertain as to how long it would take. I would still think, yes, it will be heading in that direction because you only have to look at the uh, what the popular metaverses, as we'll call them, the, the digital playgrounds where people are, were, well, kids, kind of the younger generation, Gen Zs and millennials were starting to congregate, the likes of Fortnite, the likes of Roblox, um, and seeing the growth of those type of digital um, uh, entertainment environments to say, uh, to think that we, we will probably head down that route. I think with what's happened with COVID and lockdown and um, it's accelerated that towards that. I don't think people are going to be as reliant upon the physical anymore. Um, the, it's been proven that digital experiences, while they'll never replace physical, there's virtue in it and there's, there's an economy in it and there's an interest that people, we're seeing people kind of come to our platform to experience it. So they'll be experiencing it in other places that exist and will exist in the future too. So I, I, personally, I do believe that these metaverses will become commonplace. Um, I just want to ask one final question in this bit. Um, are there any obvious mistakes, whether you were there or not? Um, what, what, what mistakes have Twitch made, do you think? Is there anything that Twitch, or in, whether it be in your tenure or previous to your tenure, that Twitch you think should have or could have done differently? Um, well, uh, other than hiring me, um, <laughs> I think um, the, the one mistake, and I think they, they will, um, the, kind of the, the execs probably admit to this, is early on, while it served the purpose, it was very restrictive to gaming content. Um, and it, it served the purpose in that it became a home for gamers and a safe place for gamers to stream. But what they failed to kind of acknowledge was the pace of growth of other platforms um, and the growth of content on other platforms. So what was happening was these creators were becoming big stars on Twitch. They were building big communities, were getting a big following. But if they want... Um, to do show off any of their other interests and they're gamers and we've all got numerous other interests it's not just playing games sure. they weren't able to utilize the platform that they had built their following on at this, and we're talking quite a few years ago now to mm. exhibit some of those other interests that they may have had because it prohibited it once they opened that up and they opened up channels like um, IRL in real life and just mm. chatting which has now become I think the fastest growing channel um, it showed that there was huge appetite for that content a huge appetite on the creator side and on the viewer side so that may have who knows it, it may may have stifled the growth at that point it might have been necessary to build that fundamental kind of user base of, of gamers but um i think that's probably one that they would look at and go did we make the right call at the right um doing that and having said it was the last question, I do just want to touch on this relationship with creators because it strikes me as though the one thing that Twitch has always understood is the value of creators on its platform. I think some others, I think YouTube was kind of on its second iteration. I think Snapchat has got there now, but it took a while. But, but Twitch has always very firmly understood just how important the relationships with their creators are. Yes, it has always been defined as a creator-first platform. Mm. And uh, by that, it's, uh, it was designed for people to be able to 
do the thing that they love doing and earn money from it. That's kind of the essential core concept of Twitch because strip everything else back. It's like, I have a passion for something and Twitch allows me to demonstrate that passion and monetize that passion. Um, so it's a very much a case of when brands come into this space, when we earn, they earn, the, um, the creators. So um, all the tools from kind of the monetization to the revenue share are very much focused on putting money into the pockets of the creators that are living. That's why you're seeing musicians um, come to the platform uh, during lockdown because they've, they've realized that monetization kind of opportunity there. And it's also part of my team kind of um, mission and values. It's something that we, 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 when building out and restructuring the team and kind of giving us ourselves kind of a mission and guidelines, we looked at it and we're like, we're not like, we're not frontline workers. We're not like, we're never, we're in media. Let's face it, we're in media. Mm. But what we do do by helping brands come onto Twitch, we're bringing money into this ecosystem. And what that is doing is allowing money to flow to creators to do the thing that they love for a living. And that in its own right is kind of virtuous. Um, so yes, we, there is a very, very strong focus within the business on, on the creator and the creator ecosystem. The final section, still here with Adam, Adam Harris from Twitch, who's the global head of the brand partnership studio at Twitch. And this is the section where we ask Adam for his rocket fuel, some actionable insights, some practical takeaways for our audience of media marketing, youth marketing types. First thing, Adam, deliberately broad question, what do you know about young audiences? So um, having worked with young audiences um, across the last two roles that I've had, both the uh, Time Out and Twitch, I believe I've got qu quite a decent insight into kind of the behaviours and the motivations of, of this audience. Um, and we have touched on quite a few of these points already, but I would, it's worth reiterating because I yeah, do sure. believe it's core behaviours. And that is they want to be, firstly, they want to be part of experiences. We have, they're digital natives. They've only um, ever kind of grown up with environments, digital environments that they can control. I only have to look at my TV in my playroom and the peanut butter fingerprints that are all over it from my kids thinking that they should be able to touch the screen and net, on Netflix and be able to get that to work. So they are, they've only ever known these interactive environments. So they not only want to be part of experiences, they believe they should be able to control the experiences and have a fundamental say. So that then moves them into far more of a um, kind of pull content for advertisers rather than push. Um, the other thing is they are increasingly, you're seeing this on TikTok, you're seeing it on Twitch, you see it on kind of any influencer platform is that they are can see through now this kind of polished um, kind of, celebrity of the past and they want their celebrities the current celebrities celebrities of the future to look like them to speak like them to be like them so they're looking for kind of this authenticity and this kind of like um, likability that is just a far more human and far less kind of edited and polished and cut than um, used to exist um, other things they want to do is they want they want to be creative it's part of the um, kind of the, the big part of the experience and controlling the experiences they're, they're creative. All the tools that they've got on all these platforms allow them to kind of express their creativity. So they, and we can see by the popularity of the platforms that allow them to do that, that they want to be creative. They want to be 
be content creators as well as content absorbers. And finally, I think kind of a fundamental characteristic is they, they're cause driven as well. They, they very much believe in a purpose they've got, but um, kind of their, uh, their moral dial is pointing in a certain direction where um, they will follow people, they will follow brands, they will be a part of something if they can see the cause and it's a cause that is worthwhile to them and the kind of um, is, is deep within them. And that's a key motivator. And we see it with the significant amount of charity that is raised on the platform. Just firstly, by the creators um, themselves voluntarily and then by the audiences voluntarily donating. So that, that's kind of what I, yeah, I know about young audiences. Okay, that's a great answer, very comprehensive, and it's covered off the what is important. And to an element, my, my next question as well, which is what, what has changed and what do you think will change next about how they behave? So I think um, in terms of what has changed, it's, um, I'm not entirely sure if in recent years young people have changed that much. I think the perception of what they do has changed. By that, I mean, um, you would, a few years ago, if take gaming as a prime example. And now gaming's been around for 40 years, um, uh, or maybe even slightly longer. Like we've been in about the fourth generation of kind of gaming. And it's been thought of, it's had stereotypes, it's been thought of a niche tribe. But increasingly, and it's probably Fortnite that has been the major turning point in this, with the adoption by footballers doing the dances and um, mm. all this kind of thing that's going on that Drake streaming it and like this mainstream cultural element where actually where it was firstly thought of as an anti-social um thing that people do kind of in their bedroom and they don't they're kind of they're not communicating with the outside world is that it's begin to be realized that actually it's a very social activity and maybe again this is the whole lockdown effect of like perception but the fact that travis scott held that gig in Fortnite and millions of people kind of uh, partook in it and kind of this interactive metaverse the um, the fact that places like roblox and kind of all these games where people are playing them all day long talking and communicating with each other i think Fortnite has normalized that a little bit and the actually the perception of playing video games and this interactivity and this gamification um which is now inherent in all of our lives but especially young people is um is normalized and we're not people aren't thinking of them so much as stereotypes anymore and aren't thinking of them so much as these tribes and more that they are the gaming generation they're digital natives and this is how how they behave so in terms of well they'll go in the future i think there'll be more of that i think but i think it'll be more of it because it's more understood now and it's sure. more accepted that these are digital playgrounds and yep. they are fine as long as there's the barriers and the guardrails in place they are they're good especially and we've realized that in the last few months that they there's there's a virtue to them I also, I think you're right. I think, I mean, it's, it's, I very much flew the flag for gaming for my little boy who's eight. Mm. Um, now, sadly, he only ever plays FIFA or WWE. So it's tough right. to kind of give the, the problem solving aspect that I sold into my beautiful wife as, as kind of the key element of gaming. Yeah. But, but the other thing I think are the stereotypes in young people. So for ages, we were led to believe that the attention spans are getting shorter. But actually, if you look at Josh Rogan's podcast, it's two and a half hours long do you know what i mean there are things well, that just don't compute with those sweeping statements i, I know what you mean kind of vividly because if that is the twitch model like yeah um, the conventional wisdom is saying look at snap look at tiktok look at um twitter and all these short uh, youtube stuff going down this short form content route the attention span's not there 
like that Porsche thing we did was four hours. We did a Tomb Raider thing for 42 hours. Like there's um, Twitch streamers are on, on average streaming for seven hours. It's like a radio show. Like it's an all day yeah. radio show. It's the notion that long form content is kind of, is like I completely disagree with as you, as, mm. as you were saying. Yeah. Final point then, or final question. Um, who gets it wrong and who gets it right? You don't have to name names or, or, or you know, point the finger too much. But, but yeah, who gets it wrong when talking to young people? So um, there was an example recently, and um, uh, which is, uh, I don't like to normally pick on brands, but it's worth saying because they normally get it spot on. They normally get it really right. Um, and on this occasion on Twitch, they didn't get it so right. And there are the other brands that are kind of getting it far more aligned. And so I don't know if you saw recently that Burger King did some activity on Twitch yeah. where they essentially um, paid, because Twitch is donation based, I um, mean, you can donate straight to streamers. They would donate the value of their, their meals. So they were giving money to streamers. And from their point of view, they were doing some amazing guerrilla marketing. And conceptually, it was a great idea. They go into streamers' channels, they would donate the price of um, their meal. It would come up because part of the Twitch um, kind of currency is you get kind of a lot of love from, it's the one-to-one -one dialogue that you get with the broadcaster yeah. that they call you out. They say, thanks, uh, Adam, for your, uh, your donation. That was great. So they would say, thanks, Burger King, for the £1.59 Whopper donation. That got a lot of negative press. And whether it was deliberate, I don't know, by kind of Ogilvy or kind of what their strategy was behind it. But the feedback from the community is that it actually took advantage of the ecosystem and the ecosystem which this young community, they completely get. They get the value exchange that is going on, that these guys are producing content. And if I like that content, I donate to them because it is um, it is worthwhile. And they have a market value in that if I want yeah. to sponsor their content, this is what I should be kind of paying to sponsor it. And it just seemed a bit um, misaligned with what is known about um, this audience and their use of the platform and how brands should operate in, in that world. On the flip side, you look at kind of a brand like Wendy's, who won the Cannes um, uh, kind of got Royal Prix mm. last year for an amazing thing they did with Fortnite, mm. who got it completely right, who found that sweet spot of how to interact with the uh, with the audience they went into their world they didn't try and impose they let it organically kind of grow uh, basically for those that don't know what the idea was they went um they created a channel on twitch um and they created a character in fortnite that looked like wendy so with the pigtails and the red hair and because Fort, um wendy's don't do frozen beef they went into fortnite and smashed up all the freezers in fortnite and what you found was gamers thought that was hilarious they thought that was really they got the irreverence, they got the meme culture, they got Fortnite and Pete, and then gamers started to protect Wendy, or they came up, um, they started to help her destroy the freezers. That's using the community in the right way. That's showing you, you get them, you get the irreverence, you get how to be a brand. And unfortunately, I just feel that the Burger King example, for what, whatever reason, didn't quite hit the mark with understanding the ecosystem, the community and the value exchange that is going on there. I get you. Yeah, it's a great example. And it is a really good recent one of them not getting it quite spot on the mark. Hey, Adam, look, bring us one key takeaway for our audience, will you? Whether it's something we've discussed or whether it's something that my questions haven't allowed you to explain. 
<laughs> um, I, I, I think the key piece of advice, and I give it to the uh, audience, I give it to brands in particular, is this idea of um, invite, don't interrupt them. Invite them in. This young audience wants to be invited into experiences. They want to be a part of it. So as a, um, as a brand, let them, um, let them be in control of the handlebars. Take the stabilizers off. Let the audience run with your brand for a little while and just be free with it and see what magic they come up with because they will. If you set the guardrails for them and you put the right barriers in place and you set the right narrative for them, they'll do amazing things with your brand and they'll get such deep engagement that um, it'll be well, well worth your while to kind of invite them in. Okay. Adam, it sounds like that there might be a young audience that wants to be invited into your particular environment, not they least may your kids. They have their first day of school. And just ah, there you go. <laughs> That's fine. Well, look, it's a great time. Thank you so much for the time. Adam, where, where can people find out more about you? Where can people find out more about Twitch? So um, Twitch is an easy one. So it's twitch.tv. Um, if anyone wants to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn. I'm uh, Ads Harris. Um, and I'd be um, more than happy to kind of uh, chat, mentor anyone who would like uh, to have a chat. Brilliant, Adam, thank you so much for your time. That was a really good chat, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Adam Harris, who's the global head of the brand partnership studio at Twitch. Good insight, I thought. Stay tuned, as I say, this is series three of Rocket Fuel, and the really good news is that it's not going to be me presenting every week. So do tune in and stay tuned for other presenters, other members of the Rocket team. Next week, I'm afraid you have got me, as we find out all about Mary Stopes International. So until next week, I'll see you then. Thanks for listening, and uh, do uh, recommend this to a friend or give us a five-star review, because that will really help more people discover Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.